Good morning, folks. Oh, that was so personal. Thank you. <laughs> well, we are back in our series called Believe, a journey through the gospel of John. We are calling it Believe because we want you to do that. We want you to believe just like John did when he was writing this gospel, to believe that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the sent one, that he is our Savior, he is our rescuer, not only of the Jewish people who John was writing to, but for all of us, um, for the world. John 3.16 says that God's, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. This is a message, the good news for all of us. Because Jesus is calling us out of death and into life. He's calling us out of darkness and into light. He is asking us to place our active trust in him. We are to believe. But not only are we to believe, we are taking this journey through the gospel of John. And in a sense, we are journeying with John as he recollects his life and times with Jesus. He's writing this uh, when he's in his 90s. He's an old man and he's reflecting on who Jesus is, who's reflecting on this story, this good news. And so we are taking this journey, in a sense, with John as we look at Jesus and his earthly ministry. And it started with John the Baptist proclaiming Jesus uh, like a voice calling out in the desert, make straight the way, the paths for the Lord. And like he says, he says, um, he says, behold the Lamb of God who covers the sin, who comes to forgive the sin of the world. And so John proclaims the coming of Jesus. And Jesus initiates his ministry uh, early on in the book of John. And we see that he comes performing miracles. He performs a healing. Uh, he, he, he changes water into wine uh, in Cana. And he performs healings. And he's starting to, to, to move around this area of Judea and Galilee. Uh, and he is piquing the interest of the, the people who are in charge, the Pharisees. And so as Jesus goes about teaching and healing, the Pharisees, the, the ruling elite of the time, this tension begins to build up between Jesus uh, and them. It begins with the healing of the invalid. He heals a cripple on the Sabbath, if you recall, in Jerusalem. And so these men, these Pharisees say, Jesus, this man, he heals on the Sabbath. He must not be from God because it doesn't keep the law. You don't do any work on the Sabbath. And so they persecute him. But not only that, they go on and actually seek to kill him because Jesus is not only healing on the Sabbath, he's also equating himself with God. He is saying, I am equal with God. And so these tensions begin to escalate in the book of John. And Jesus continues to teach about himself, that he himself is from God. And not only that, that he is the son of man, that he is the light of the world, that he is the bread of life. And people are divided in their thinking. On the one hand, some say that he is a good man. And on the other, people say that he's leading the people astray. But what we know is that Jesus, as he appears to man, at the people of his time, he is a lightning rod for controversy. Everyone he encounters has to make a decision about who he is. And so our journey in John has led us to a crossroads, in a sense, in chapter 9, where we are right now. Because everyone who encounters Jesus comes to a crossroads. Everyone that encountered Jesus in the flesh during his earthly ministry, and each one of us as we encounter the person of Jesus Christ, each come to a crossroad. And Jesus says to us, 
He says, will you continue in your spiritual blindness or will you you receive spiritual sight from me? Will you continue in darkness or will you walk in the light? Will you persist in death or will you accept the gift of eternal life that I'm giving you? And when we come to this crossroads, each of us must respond in this way. We must respond in either belief or unbelief. When we stand before Jesus, we respond with belief or unbelief. And so this passage today really brings this to the fore by showing us a cast of characters, a cast of characters in chapter 9. But before we get there, let's just take a moment and pray together, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. God, and we praise you, and we come into your house today, God, with expectation that you would speak to our hearts. Father, would you just do that? Would you, um, if we are blind today, God, would you give us sight? If we are living in darkness, God, would you bring your light to shine upon us? Father, we choose life, life in its fullness, the life that your son Jesus has for us. So God, would you work powerfully and mightily this morning and speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So chapter nine introduces us to four principal players in this unfolding drama, this aftermath of the healing um, that has happened in the beginning of chapter nine. So we meet these these four characters. We meet the Pharisees, the neighbors, the parents, and the blind man. The Pharisees, the neighbors, and the parents, and the blind man. And as you will see as we move through this narrative that they all respond to Jesus in a different way. They all bring a different posture when it comes to their encounter with Jesus. The Pharisees is characterized by this phrase, I refuse to believe. I refuse to believe. You will see again and again as the Pharisees speak to the blind man, speaks to the neighbors, speaks to the parents, they are entrenched in their unbelief. And so the Pharisees are characterized by this phrase, I refuse to believe. And then you see the neighbors. The neighbors are characterized by this, help me to understand. We'll see that they are questioning. They have encountered something that they can't fit into the paradigm. And so they are genuinely seeking an answer when it comes to their faith. The parents are characterized by this posture. The cost is too great. The cost is too great. When they're brought to the Pharisees, they have to weigh out their options. And when it comes out at the end, they have had an encounter with Jesus, but their response is, the cost is too great. And lastly, we're going to see the blind man. And the blind man says this, at the end of all of this, at the end of the chapter, he says, I'm all in, I believe. So these are four postures, these are four responses that we see from these groups of individuals in this Um, in this passage in Scripture. So I want to start just by recapping the story of the blind man that we covered in verses verses 1 to 7, chapter 9. So if you recall, the, the man was blind from birth, and he was a beggar. He was an outcast. He was a pariah, right? And he is sitting there, and Jesus and his disciples pass by and see him, and, have the, and they have this debate about whose sin, right? Was it the sin of the man? Was it the sin of the parents that caused him to be born blind? And Jesus said, it was neither of those things, but that the works of God might be, may, might be displayed in him. And so Jesus then comes to the man, and if you, real, if you notice that at this point, the, man, the blind man is really just a passive participant in this whole display. He hasn't said anything. 
he hasn't really even interacted with Jesus and the disciples. But Jesus approaches this man. It says he spit on the ground. He made mud, and he took it, and he anointed the blind man's eyes, and he had directed him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And when he did that, when the blind man went and did as Jesus instructed, he received his sight. And so that's chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. And so we're going to pick this back up in, in verse 8. And this is what it says in verse 8 to 12. We're going to meet that first group, the neighbors now, okay? So the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And so they're curious. They're asking questions. They see that there is some change in this man. He was blind, but now he sees. And they're like, what is happening, right? Their minds are blown. Verse 9 says this. Some said, it is he. That is the man that we knew, the beggar, the blind man. Others said, no. He looks like him, but no, I can't be him. And the blind man kept saying, it's me. I am that guy. I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? Because they need to try to, to fit this into the framework of their understanding. Verse 11, he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. Verse 12, they said to him, where is he? Again, curious, wanting to know. And he said, the blind man said, I do not know. So you see in this interaction, in this interchange between the neighbors and the blind man, the neighbors are characterized by the statement, help me to understand. When it comes to encounter with Jesus, they want to know, they want to understand what it is that they have seen, that, that what it is that has occurred that they can't explain. Because clearly they have witnessed this miracle. But they ask themselves, what does it mean? There is something significant here. Blind men who are born blind don't just open their eyes and see for no reason. There is meaning here. And so they want to know. The thing is, we all, we come to faith, I think, with this posture. We want to know. But there's a tendency for us to try to fit God into the box of our understanding and our experience, isn't there? We heard this from Rustin last week when he was speaking about God as Father. And he reminded us that the way we view and experience and understand God as our Father, a lot of time is colored by our, by our own personal experience from our earthly fathers. So how our fathers treated us, we tend to uh, put that onto, in, onto God and believe that he is similar in, in ways to that experience that we've had. And that, in essence, actually boxes God in, right? It puts him in this space where this is how I'm going to understand him. Now, it's, it's important to realize that this dynamic happens in our lives because um, God is big. He is immense. He is uh, infinite. And so when we, try, when we um, maybe inadvertently box God in, we're not allowing him to reveal himself to us in the ways that he desires to. And so in our thinking, in our experience, in our understanding, it's important to un understand this dynamic that occurs in our life. Because, because God is all of those things. He is 
otherworldly even, right? He's, he's spirit, he's uh, all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's all-present, he's everywhere. I mean, how do we grasp that with our little finite minds? But remember that God is not only those things, he's also near to us. He's nearer to us than we are to our own souls, um, it's been said. And not only that, he wants to be intimate with us. He wants us to know him fully, even as we are fully known by him. And so with God, we don't want to fit him in a box. And like these neighbors, when we are confronted with phenomenon that we can't explain, when we try to understand what we see in front of us, when we encounter Jesus, maybe we encounter Jesus when we, when we witness a healing, when we can say, wow, Someone prayed, this person was healed. Was that God or was that coincidence? I don't know. And you try to fit God into your box. Maybe it's a transformation of a person that you know. You see someone who um, lived in a way before knowing God, and when they meet Jesus, they are completely transformed in the person that they are. And you wonder, is there something there? What's going on there? I want to know. Don't put God in a box. Allow yourself to... um, God to reveal himself to you in new and fresh ways and to respond to Jesus with belief and not unbelief. Every encounter we come to with Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, or God God asks us the question, will you believe or will you not believe? So this takes us to verse 13 to 17. And this, verses 13 to 17, comprises the first of two interactions between the blind man and the Pharisees. Um, I'm not going to get into it right this minute, um, but what we begin to see is that the Pharisees become increasingly spiritually blind, whereas the blind man, it gains not only his physical sight, but he gains spiritual insight. It's a really interesting thing that we're going to explore in a little moment. But we're going to skip over 13 to 17. We're going to come back to that. But right now we're going to look at 18 to 23 because I want you to meet the parents. We're going to meet the parents. Verse 18. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and he had received his sight. You see this? They did not believe, you know. They've talked to him already, but they're like, "Eh, I don't believe. I don't think it's because they don't believe. I think they don't want to believe, but we'll see that in a second. Until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight, and and they asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? His parents answered. I want you to pay very close attention to the answer of the parents. His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. Pretty obvious. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. I want you to just pay attention here. They're saying these things, but they're not saying it really 100% truthfully. And the reason is this, verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Verse 23. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. The parents' response to their encounter with Jesus is that the cost is too great. The cost is too great. 
I want you to imagine with me for a moment these parents at the birth of their son. And what a joyous moment that should have been, only to realize very soon after that he was born blind. And then the stigma of that comes upon them. Whose sin was it that your child was born blind? Your sin? Or maybe the sin of your child? And so because he was blind, this was seen as a curse upon him and their family. And so they needed to separate themselves from their son. And he had to go into the streets to become a beggar. Because as someone cursed by God with blindness, he could have no part in the community. He was an outcast. He was a pariah. And so the only way that he could exist was to beg. His parents, who loved him, couldn't take care of him because it would mean that they too would be associated with that sin. And but now here you have their son who has received his sight. He's no longer blind. He can be accepted. He can be forgiven. He can be reintegrated into the life of the community. Rejoice. Praise the Lord. And in the midst of their rejoicing for the healing of their son, they get dragged in front of the Pharisees. What do you think is going on in their mind? You see, they believe what has happened. They see the outcome of this healing. Their son, who was blind from birth, can now see. It is a miracle, and this man, Jesus, is the one who has done it. And so they know, they believe, but they are afraid. They believe, but fear causes them to shrink back because the cost is too great. There is too much to lose. For the Jewish person in Jesus' time, synagogue was everything. It was the focal point. It was the centrality of their life, culturally, ethnically, religiously, all centered on the synagogue. It was the essence of community. And their identity as a people of God, the Jewish people had a very strong identity. We are the chosen people in contradistinction to everybody else, the Jews and the Gentiles, right? Everybody else. And so to be a Jew means you needed to be connected to the community, to be connected to the synagogue, to the place of worship. Because to be able to participate in the life of worship was to, be, to, was to have God's blessing. So for the parents who came before the Pharisees and they were asked about Jesus, they decided that the cost was too great. They may believe, but the cost was too great. So my question to you this morning is, what is the cost of, God, of, of Christ's lordship in your life? What is the cost of discipleship for you? I remember when I was uh, a younger man and uh, I, I worked with youth, uh, I would often try to encourage the youth of the church to be baptized. And many times the response to me was this, uh, Kevin, I would, I would love to get baptized, but I'm not ready. Uh, and I'm not ready because I know that once I get baptized, I'm going to have to be a good Christian. I'm going to have to be a good Christian, which, which really meant that if I take this step of making a public declaration 
I know that this outward sign would need to match an inward reality, but the inward reality isn't there. I'm not ready to give up those things that I think I need, I would have to give up in order to follow Jesus fully. And this is, of course, wrong-headed, right? It reveals a bit of a deficiency in their faith. If you believe in Jesus, you should be able to follow him where he leads. That is trust and obedience. So like the parents, when the true cost of following Jesus becomes real in our own lives, maybe it's uh, real in the loss of friends who might think you're weird. Maybe it's the loss of respect of people around you. Maybe it's the loss of the freedoms that you think you have if you don't go all in with Jesus. It's going to limit the things that you can enjoy in life, which is false, of course. We talked about that in previous messages. There is a real cost to following Jesus. But when we encounter Jesus in that way, where we meet our, the cost face to face, will we respond with belief or will we respond with unbelief? That is the question. Because we can respond to Jesus either in belief or unbelief. So that's the neighbors and that's the parents. Now we're going to look at the Pharisees and the blind man. So we're going to turn to this beautiful dual movement that John paints in this Gospel of John of the blind man's progressive spiritual sight, his progress towards belief, and then we've got the Pharisees who go from thinking they know a thing or two to actually becoming more and more spiritually blind and couched in their unbelief. If you remember from verse 11, this is the response of the blind man. Chapter 9, verses 11, he says, He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes. So when, people, when the neighbors asked him, Who was it that did this? His confession about Jesus was simply this. He was just some guy. He was just the man. I, I, don't, I don't know anything more about him than that. This man called Jesus. And so this is kind of the baseline, right? We come and we know about Jesus, and who is he? He's just, he's just that that man. If you move on now to verse 13 to 17, we'll see this. 13 to 14. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day. Again, remember this is the first interaction. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. You see this, right? This refusal to believe what they have witnessed with their own eyes. For he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Verse 17, and there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, the blind man, he is a prophet. You see the progression here. You've got the Pharisees who are just, you know, right off, right off the bat, strike one. This man is not from God. And you have the blind man who goes from professing Jesus as simply this man to now recognizing him as a prophet, someone who is sent by God. We're going to look at verse 24 to 34. There's a lot going on here, so we're going to take it bit by bit. Chapter 9, verse 24. 
So for the second time, they've talked to his parents and now they're calling them back in, the Pharisees. They called the man who had been blind and said to him. So I just want you to just follow me here. This man was blind for his entire life and he can see. What do you think he wants to do? He wants to enjoy his sight and enjoy his life. But instead, he keeps getting dragged before the Pharisees. And so, understandably, he's, he's getting a little frustrated, okay? He's going to get nippy, and you're going to hear it in a second. And he said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Let's camp here for a second. The Pharisees are educated. They are from the upper echelons of Jewish society. They are the top dogs. And they are saying to this man, give glory to God, which is ironic, right? Because they actually aren't giving glory to God in what it is that they're saying and doing. But they're demanding that of this blind man. And this is actually intimidation. Because this phrase, give glory to God, is actually telling the blind man, we know you are lying. And so confess your sin and give glory to God. That is what they're saying. And he understands that. He knows it. This is an intimidation move. Not only that, they go, on, he go, they go on further and say, we know that this man is a sinner. And so they're entrenching themselves in this position and saying, not only do we know that you're a liar, we know that this man is not who he says he is. So you've got no ground to stand on. They're trying to back this man into a corner. Now, realize that this man has been a beggar his whole life and uneducated, right? I love this guy's response. Just listen to it. Verse 25. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. He is appealing simply to the facts. He's not playing the Pharisees' game. He's not saying to them, oh, oh, I'm sorry, maybe I got it wrong. He's saying, look, I know what went down. I was blind and now I see, I don't care what you guys say. Verse 26, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Verse 27, he answered them. You're going to smile with me when you hear this, right? I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Do you see how audacious this this response is from him? He is the lowest of the low in this society, and he's talking to the Pharisees who are at the, at the top of the heap, and he's saying this to them, but I want you to pay attention to this. He says, do you also want to become his disciples? What is he claiming in that sentence? He's claiming that he has become Jesus' disciple. He went from saying that Jesus is simply this man that he is now the prophet, he recognizes that. But not only that, this man is willing to follow Jesus. I am his disciple. Verse 28. And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Verse 29. We know what God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Strike two. That's the second time they've denied Jesus, this is the second time they're saying, I will not believe. That is the posture of the Pharisees. They're digging in their heels. They've doubled down. Now they've tripled down. I refuse to believe. 
verses 30 to 33. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This is a blind or formerly blind beggar with no formal training or education, speaking to the religious elite, the most educated lot in their day. And he is schooling them. He is schooling them. Jesus is from God. That's his claim, that he is from God. And so the Jews, they lose it, right? They've lost their minds. They are livid with anger. Verse 34. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, right? They're saying the blindness was sin. They're reminding him of his place. And you would teach us? And they cast him out. They cast him out. Let's take a look. Let's think about what's happened in the blind man's life for a moment here. He started his life born blind, he is an outcast, he is a pariah, and this is the material consequence of sin, or so the people of his day thought, right? It was because of sin that he has this curse of blindness upon him, and so he is unfit to take part in the community. He cannot be, he cannot be um, accepted in that way. You were just, he was, he was cast out from birth. Jesus restores this man's sight. And you can imagine that this man, longing for his sight, but also longing for community, longing for acceptance, longing to be able to be embraced by his own people, to be accepted and forgiven. And it's what it's long, he's longed for all his life. It's probably what his parents have longed for him all of his life. And yet when it comes down to the wire, he gives it all up. What he had just for a moment, he tasted the goodness, and but he gave it all up to follow Jesus. And so the posture of the blind man in his response to his encounter with Jesus is, I am all in. I am giving everything to this. I believe. I believe. So once again, because of this proclamation of his faith, the blind man is alone. He is rejected and he is lost. But this beautiful thing happens in verse 35. Jesus seeks this man out and this man is found by Jesus. Look at verse 35 with me. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Let's keep going. He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. 
The blind man responds to Jesus in belief. The blind man responds to Jesus in belief. He's the first to be persecuted for his faith in Jesus. In John's gospel, no one before him has been persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. He is the first. He is a martyr, in essence. He's the first, but he won't be the last. Because Jesus is calling out a people, a community that are his very own. This person was cast out from his community, and Jesus says, welcome into my family. And he invites him in. Jesus is creating for himself a people that are his very own, precious to him. And so all of us, like the blind man, when God leads us down this path and every fiber of our being is pulsing with the truth of who Jesus is, that he is the son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the sent one, and we long to sing of his greatness, we, like the blind man, must respond in belief. We must respond in belief. As we take a moment and, uh, and close up what we've talked about, I'm going to invite the choir to, uh, to rejoin me on stage, on the platform, get them moving and up here. As they do that, I want to remind you of this. What posture will you take in your encounter with Jesus? Will you be like the Pharisee who say, I refuse to believe. I'm going to keep God in this box, and I am not going to deviate from it no matter what experience comes my way. Are you going to be like the neighbors who say, help me to understand. I know that there's something there, and I think there's something about Jesus, but just help me to understand, God. I want to know more. Maybe you're going to respond like the parents who, when they've weighed out the cost, they say the cost is too much. I hope that's not you. Or will you, like the blind man, in meeting Jesus and experiencing the life in all of its fullness that he, has to give, that he has to give, will respond with, I believe I'm all in. Will you pray with me? Father, we are just grateful for everything you are. You are a good, good father. You give good gifts. But Father, it is not the gifts that we desire, but you, yourself. And as we come before you, as you show us your face, as you, like Jesus did with the blind man, come and pursue us to find us in our lostness. And when Jesus shows us his face and says, come out of the darkness into the light, Step out from underneath the yoke of death and fully into the life that I have for you, life in all of its fullness. God, would you allow us to respond with belief, to say yes to Jesus and give our all completely and fully in obedience to him. In Jesus' name we pray.